Hello, everyone, and welcome to this emergency MLS Now podcast. I'm your host, Russell. You can find me on social media at Mr. Dangerous. You can find the podcast on social media at MLS Now Podcast. And you can find our wonderful guests here today at Gentlemen, go ahead and drop your socials. Actually, wait, no, I know them. You can find Tim on social media at Sing Electric. You can find Travis on social media at SKC Spins. Tim, Travis, hello. Tim, please first, because I realize I'm introducing both of you at the same time. You're going to talk over each other because I'm a terrible host and I just realized that, but here we go anyways. Hello. I really wanted to do a thing where we were like, wait, what? Stop. No, wait. No, you go first. No, you first. But then, no, you you, you sorted that out. You, you cleared up the traffic right. jam. Thanks and for if having you, me. If you don't believe that I would have edited that out to make myself look like a genius, you got another thing coming. Oh, actually, just so that everyone knows, that took 15 minutes for us to actually sort out. This is the re-record, re-record, re-record. Yes. That, Travis, that, that hello. That will be edited out. Hey, hey what's up? Uh <laughs> I'm at home drinking beer. <laughs> Hi, at home drinking beer. I'm uh, D- M- Russell McMurray. You can find me on social media at Mr. Dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> Got to slide that one in there. Guys, thank you so much for being on this episode. We've thrown it together at literally the last minute. It's true breaking news. Breaking news indeed. So, Here's the here's the skinny for anyone who has not seen this yet. MLS has, I guess, unilaterally decided and announced that their first teams are not going to play in the U.S. Open Cup next year, which is truly shocking because I was under the impression that there was a rule for the U.S. Soccer Federation that said you have to play in these tournaments. So we're going to see how this plays out. Tim, you... Uh, you have any reactions here instantly on this? Any thoughts? Because this is well, this is a lot. I, I will say um, I didn't until just now when you said breaking news. I didn't really appreciate the sense of the word breaking news in the sense that it is news that feels like it broke you. But in a, in a way, that kind of is it. Because um, I mean, like a lot of soccer fans that grew up, you know, around the time that I did where. I started paying attention to, you know, U.S. soccer around the time that MLS became a thing initially. And the Open Cup was such a huge part of that experience. And I mean, it really is. It's almost like a religious, you know, traditional, this like thing that you do, the thing that you love to do, that you love to see, um, that like it is. it has been gritty. It has been beautiful. It has been ugly. It has been like all of these things, but it's always been entertaining and it's always been a part of the game since i mean for a long time a lot longer than mls has ever been a thing but it has been a part of mls team experience since the beginning and the thought that it won't be for really the only time other than covid is just i mean shocking yeah i think just to build on that as an fc cincinnati supporter i think there could be an argument made that said if FC Cincinnati had not played MLS teams and had the success against them that they did and had the attendance against them that they did in the U.S. Open Cup, I don't know if they get to MLS, if I'm being honest. So Chicago Fire fans actually do take a little bit of credit for the uh, FC Cincinnati MLS origin story because, and, and I think this is true, I mean, 
we were aware that FC Cincinnati was becoming a successful USL team. I and we'd heard that it was well supported, but like saying that it was well supported compared to the crowd that was seen at the FC Cincinnati Open Cup game against the Fire it is like saying that like jumping into a pit of snakes is a little bit dangerous. Like it, you know, like a pit of vipers is a little bit dangerous. Like it so drastically underestimated the number of people that were there, how loud the crowd was, how vibrant the support was. And I think that it it shocked, I mean, a lot of Fire fans, and I think it shocked a lot of MLS fans in general to see a USL team with that big of a crowd that was that well supported. And I mean, it obviously made an effect on the league because like FC, like Cincinnati was not on any MLS expansion map, really. I don't think until that happened. And it really did, I think, put them on the map. Not that they wouldn't have worked their way onto the map other times with that level of support, but I think that was the catalyst for it. And the idea that that can't happen for the next team. I mean, like there's, there's a lot of cities with USL clubs that don't have MLS, you know, nearby that, I mean, not that it's happened yet, but you think maybe it could like Louisville, Detroit potentially is on that list, like Pittsburgh, uh, possibly, you know, I think that San Diego wave fans have to feel very hurt and confused by the announcement today in a variety of ways. So, yeah, I mean, it it, it does sort of change the soccer landscape a, a little bit because it did feel like MLS, despite kind of playing by the beat of his own drummer for the longest time, was sort of a part of the fabric in U.S. soccer in a way that at least right now, the immediate reaction is it doesn't feel like U.S. soccer is connected to MLS in the same way. Like, it feels like MLS has pulled itself away from the landscape of U.S. soccer in a way that just was kind of unfathomable just a few hours before recording this. Yeah, Travis, I want to pull you in here as well, because I know we have, you know, we have the group chat going and I know you had some pretty strong thoughts on it as well. So I want to give you a chance to speak on this as well. Well, it's just uh, more news that in a week of disappointments that it's just like, Oh, you thought the news that we gave you yesterday wasn't bad enough. Here's something else. Uh, I guess one way to look at it, though, from an SKC perspective, is, you know, we have a couple of banners that other MLS teams will never have now. <laughs> uh, I I don't know. Uh, I think I felt less strongly about pulling down the U.S. Open Cup because honestly, I do feel like it's going to be interesting watching our MLS Next pro teams playing in the tournament, and uh, especially if it's if it's in a tournament that's being broadcast on YouTube live rather than a TV channel, or rather than any kind of like real option to watch it. Uh, I kind of get why teams would feel like this is something that they should do. But at the same time, it's just like in international soccer, the your country's cup is an important thing. Like Barcelona plays in the Copa del Rey, you know, it's not it's it's not something that you pull out of if if you want to be a part of the international soccer community, and it's it's really disappointing to see. 
Yeah, because it's something we just saw, like in Germany, like in the DFB Pokal, like the German Cup, the number of kind of titans of German soccer that were knocked out. And like that was part of the fun, I think, for a lot of us. And I mean, it was something where there had been licensing deals made for the DFB Pokal for like American fans to watch or like there's Copa del Rey matches that are like you can be in that state, like you can watch FA Cup matches here. Um, so domestic, I mean, and admittedly, like U.S. soccer has had a difficult time trying to make the U.S. Open Cup feel like it's at even the same level adjusting for inflation of MLS not being the same kind of league that like a top five league is. Um, it's been difficult for U.S. soccer trying to make the Open Cup feel that relevant or, or feel that large or get the media rights there. I, I think they were really going annually on media deals, and it wasn't until the um, the BR app sort of like deal with games simultaneously broadcast on YouTube and a couple of them on TNT happened. I think that was the first time they've had a multi-year deal in a long time, but it, it still has felt like a fabric of U.S. soccer. And I think a lot of us were like kind of cheering that there was finally a uh, one place we could go to watch like, you know, like the Pittsburgh Riverhounds play like a USL two team and then watch, you know, Sporting Kansas City play a USL championship team and like watch all of those things in one place, like across the country, because that's not something that we always had. And I, I was kind of hoping that would be the start of of something bigger and better for the Open Cup, especially because one of the things is like, you know, the, the last couple rounds were broadcast on national TV, partly because of the, you know, kind of Messi effect. Um, the idea that Messi could have been playing in the final, which, you know, ultimately he did not, even if Inter Miami did, um, I, I think was a catalyst for interest from media broadcasters in, in the match. And I mean, there would be every reason to think that in the 2024 Open Cup, like Messi could be playing in the final, like Messi could have had an open cup ring on top of everything else uh, in his, you know, trophy case. And now that won't happen. Like now MLS has taken away the opportunity for the open cup to being one of the things that one of the greatest players in history could win. I have uh, got a question on that. Actually, when we say that Messi is here in the U S Think about how expensive a ticket to watch Messi would be if they got drawn against, I, who knows, like the, the Riverhounds, for instance, and they were playing in Pittsburgh. And you have a stadium that seats, what, nine to 10,000 people for the Pittsburgh Riverhounds? And Inter Miami is not going to get much, if any, of that revenue. And MLS and Apple, similarly, not going to get much, if any, of that revenue. This feels like a zero, almost like a zero sum game. Like, oh, I don't get to have any of this. Well, you don't get to have any either. I just, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. It just screams of trying to exclude other people from being able to see your product, which just isn't in the spirit of the U.S. Open Cup. Really, exactly. It's, it's kind of not in the spirit of the sport. <laughs> it's against the spirit of the Open Cup for sure. I think that it's kind of against the spirit of the game to not compete in the National Cup. I mean, one of the, criticisms that i heard people level against american soccer in like the pre-mls days because like I, I was living overseas when the 94 world cup happened and you know there were i mean living kind of in an expat community 
there were people that remembered like the NAS- NASL days and like they, they, they would go to see like the Cosmos, you know, playing the Washington diplomats back in like the seventies. So they saw Pelé play, which was like cool for them and everything like that. But they were like, look, you didn't even compete in the domestic cup, like which in ASL teams didn't because, and to be honest, I think part of it was like a little bit of fear. Like it was, what if the team that had, you know, Johan Cruyff on it was frankly not good enough to beat a minor league team that was actually a team because you had Johan Cruyff playing with basically a, you know, an assemblage of people that seemed kind of random at that point. Like there wasn't as coherent of a philosophy and I think that NASL was afraid that the product that they were trying to portray as premium wasn't premium enough. And I think that like, I mean, that seems laughable now, but I mean, it was just, you know, 2022 when a USL team made it to the final of the open cup. And that seemed like something that had been in the past. It seemed like something that where MLS had progressed past that, like, MLS was starting to do well in the, you know, CONCACAF Champions League, like we were competing well against Liga Mekes teams. And then all of a sudden, we couldn't get the job done, <laughs> you know, against the Pittsburgh Riverhounds. And um, I, I think that's a great story. And I think, I mean, it's a story that's a little bit embarrassing for MLS in some ways, but I think it's a story that says something about what, about the sport and about how important it is to be a cohesive team. And I think it's a story that, you know, American soccer fans still kind of get and it. It's terrible that that's a story that's kind of being taken away from at least the next year, if not longer, or who knows what the future is for that. And, and to add to that, I would just say that that's a story that happens in all of the top five leagues. There's, there's teams all over Europe that aren't in the top, top tier of their country's uh, pyramid that that make it far in these uh, national tournaments, and that's that's like the whole beauty of these tournaments. That's why there's so much fun. <laughs> you see, uh, you know, the titans of of your country go to these small stadiums that only hold one thousand people, and <laughs> they, you know, they they sit back and they they manage to pull off one goal and kick out these huge teams. <laughs> It's it's incredible. It's it's the beauty of the whole thing. So uh, I I think that soccer fans in in America are sophisticated enough to know that just because your your team loses a one off doesn't mean that you don't have a quality product. It's it's just something that happens in the sport. Yeah, and I think to really build on that, I want to shift to another example here. Why do people watch March Madness? People love watching, you know, the 16 seed knock off the one seed. They love seeing brackets get busted. People love an underdog story in the U.S. Just straight up. It's not even like exclusive to March Madness. People love an underdog story in almost every single sport. They love it in movies. And this just feels like you're robbing, you know, any opportunity to even have like the name of a team in people's mouths. Right. It's part of the origin story of the United States, right? Like that's like the whole, like a bunch of ragtag guys beating the red coats. Like that's the origin story of the United States and denying that from this sport, which one of the great things I think that a lot of us liked about soccer is that it's, it's such a simple sport. Like you, you know, get the ball in the net and like, that's like, that's it. Like you, 
you know, you've got 11 people on each team and it's that simple. Um, and so it's just, it's a sport that sort of like lends itself to underdogs just with, with the simplicity of it. And the, and the beauty of the cup is that you can have amateur players um, playing against professionals, you know, and, and I was in the press box last year for the, um, the Chicago fires first, you know, like their first game, but it was actually the third round um, when they drew the Chicago house, which used to be a NISA team and then kind of relegated themselves, ironically enough to a amateur status. And they won the fire one, three, nothing. But I mean, to be honest, a bunch of like, frankly, kids, like most of them were 22, 23 years old. They didn't flinch. Like they, they played the game. They were outplayed against mostly MLS bench players, but they, they still played the game. And afterwards, Zirun Shakiri, who at that point was the second or first, depending on how you can't best played player in the league, who was not on the roster at all. He was there and he was kind of like wandering around sort of like, you know, the sort of like halls around the, around the pitch um, after the game. And he stopped and he talked to the amateur players, a lot of whom have professional aspirations and a number of whom have professional contracts now um, about his time in Europe, about like his perceptions of soccer in Europe, about like what he thought about like some, you know, like, I mean, getting into details because you push come to shove Jordan Jakiri, like he has a history, you know, in, in sort of like with like family connections to parts of Europe that kind of like mainstream, like they're not close to top five leagues, you know, um, the, the Bosnian league, like the Serbian league, the Kosovar league, like he he's familiar with them in a way that I think a lot of Americans are not. And there were guys that were getting scouted by those leagues on that team. And he was talking to them about that experience and what it would be like living there and stuff like that. And he spent an hour of his time or more talking to a bunch of kids who were not professional soccer players about it. Like that's one of the magic things that happens in the cup. Like an international superstar who scored a world trick, a world cup hat trick has, you know, spending time with 22, 23 year old kids that are getting scouted to play for basically no money at very minor leagues in Europe because their dream is to play professional soccer. And there is magic to the cup like that. And the idea that that's getting taken away, I, I think is just, I mean, kind of painful, at least to me, and I think to a lot of other people. I'd agree with you. It's a shame. And you know what else is a shame, Tim? I have a number of friends over, you know, in Europe. And when I talk to them about MLS, we get dogged on for so many things. And I'm still proud of the league. But, you know, every time I talk to them, there'll be a number of them that say, you know, MLS is not going to be you know, a serious league, or I can't take it seriously because it, it doesn't have that, you know, pyramid that European teams have. And I just, I can't identify with that. They'll at least still talk to me about MLS though and show some level of interest. And now I've got to tell them, oh, not only do we not have a pyramid, but we don't even play in our domestic cup anymore. Could you imagine like if someone said, oh, Arsenal's not going to play in the FA cup. Like, Oh, they lost to Wrexham that one year, so well, they're they're not I mean, playing in the Arsenal FA Cup. Arsenal fans anymore. were arguing there were some years that they didn't really play in the FA Cup, but I, uh, yeah, I you know. well, Arsenal uh, Arsenal fans have but been no, a no, tough point, time. Point I, well taken. They <laughs> they showed up. They didn't really play. They they did uh, they did participate. Um, right. I look. I I remember some of those years as as an Arsenal fan. I have 
I have watched some very uh, some very barren years of of the sport there, but uh, you know, like that's just the thing. I, I don't know how you can. It, I don't. It just uh, feels like yeah. It, it becomes a question of it. It does really become a question of like, do you have no self respect? Is it, sort of a way that it feels on a, a certain emotional level, and I don't think any of us have said the the word leagues cup um this entire podcast which considering how deep we're into this is sort of a miracle but i think that that is the elephant in the room i think that it is pretty obvious to at least all of us that it seems like they're in a packed 2024 schedule when the league decided it couldn't take a break for copa america being played in this country with the world's best player playing for inter miami in mls is not going to take a break for that. So, I mean, for one, some a, a lot of MLS GMs are like, oh, please, please, dear schedulers, schedule us for a game against Inter Miami right when that is happening because that will really help us. Um, so between not taking a break for that not and everything else going on with scheduling, like they, it, it just becomes a question of like, are we really taking ourselves seriously, you know? Yeah, especially it's it's almost like they had a chance to raise the raise the salary cap to to actually be able to rotate and have depth in your team to where you can handle all these competitions. It's almost like <laughs> you know. Well, they, and I was I was told one one option that was mooted, like it was discussed but not really considered. I guess is the best way of putting it was basically giving expanding MLS rosters to include MLS next pro rosters in a certain way. So they would be covered by the same union contracts. They would be given reserve status and some players would be given um, like reserve or like first team minimum levels of pay. Um, And that would then allow MLS teams to basically just like flip people on and off at the bottom end of their roster. I was just going to say, right now, I think the current rule is that uh, MLS teams can only pull up MLS MLS Next Pro players for three games a season, and that's that's not much of a chance, you know. It, it, it yeah, it's a handful. It's a handful of matches, even if it's yeah. I think it may be three, it, but it's um, it's certainly it it certainly isn't like. And again, like MLS rosters are not large, and you've heard a number of MLS like. It's something that Ernst Tanner complained about a lot this year. Um, Steve Terundolo complained about how short his bench was, given the number of matches they played, like 53 matches in, I mean, basically, like, what was it, like 10 months? So, I mean, averaging more than a match a week, which, especially when MLS, with the way that the DP rule works, it does incentivize you in some ways to spend some of that money on on players that are very established, which means older. and Carlos Vela, like at, at his age, like in his, like, what is he, 34? Like, he is not going to be playing 90 minutes two times a week for 10 months. Like, that just isn't a realistic expectation. So, on one hand, the league is saying you should be building your roster in a way that you should bring in, like, that was the whole idea of the DP role, right? Like, bring in international superstars that are big names that will put butts in seats. Like, that was a thing. Like, it was never really initially about, raising the quality of play it was about raising interest it was about putting butts in seats and carlos vela does that in a certain way like chicharito certainly did that for the la galaxy like chicharito raised like crowds with 
like visiting crowds, like when they would travel to different teams because of the number of Mexican American fans that just wanted to see Chicharito play, you know? Um, and that's what the DP rule was meant for. It wasn't about improving the quality of play. So you bring in older guys because like Chicharito, if you brought him in when he was 20, he wasn't Chicharito yet. You know, like that's, it, it's, it means you have to be established, which means you have to be older, which means you're not going to be playing 54 games a season. It makes me really question the wisdom of the messy move then, because if, if you have messy, right. And we'd say, Oh, this was the chance to really expand, you know, the rules of the league to propel the league towards maybe like a top 10 league in the world, you know, expand the rosters, expand how much we can pay players, you know, increase the quality you have 20 senior slots on the roster make every single one of those roster slots count make them quality players who are going to be able to give you significant minutes and then you can really you know rely on the youth down the road to maybe like they play those early matches so that you can spread out the time on the legs and yet now that we have Messi here now there would be a reason to do it we're not we're not expanding the rosters and it it feels like it's just the chicharito thing on steroids like Look at what's going on, say, at New York Red Bulls. They put out that post saying, hey, get the first, you know, two matches of the season. Or no, get the get the opening match of the season and the match against NYCFC for $100 a, you know, a person. And they put an asterisk there saying, but if we get scheduled against Inter-Miami, you don't actually get the first home opener match. You'll get the second home match of the season. And it's like, it feels like, it feels like all they care about is charging as much as possible for while Messi is here. And I'm sure that they do. I know that's a huge consideration and I'm sure every single owner is loving it, but why, what are you going to do when Messi's gone? Right. I think and it's a question for inner Miami. Cause we saw it like, you know, Miami trailed the league in attendance before the Messi announcement. And we saw, I mean, like if you watched inner Miami matches when Messi was sort of like on the fence between injuries about whether he would play or he wouldn't play. Um, if you watched from the kickoff, you would see a full house. And when it was clear, Messi wasn't on the bench. You'd see like literally like people walking out of the stadium in the opening minutes of a match. Like they, they paid their money and they paid it to see Messi and then they left. And then it was, you know, a, a three quarters full stadium again, which is about what it was before Messi was there by the 20th minute, because, you know, despite having already paid for the ticket, whatever they paid, like they decided it was better to beat traffic or go home. And I mean, like, I don't know, like, what do you, what do you do in Fort Lauderdale when you've already paid for a ticket? And it's eight, like, I, I'm not entirely sure. Um, go to Disney. What are you talking about? <laughs> you just drive uh, not down. at, you, at eight o'clock at night. Up. You drive for, yeah, <laughs> you drive not? for six hours and, are there at like two in the morning? Like, uh, you show up at Disney at two in the morning. Hello. Um, yeah. We well, I mean, well. I guess if you wanted to fuck out there. Well, you know, but whatever it was, like, yeah, so clearly people were there for Messi, right? So, like, th- there's, and, and I think that's the question is like, what's the follow up plan for Miami after, after Messi's no longer there? What's the follow up plan for the league? But I, I think it's fair to say the league is not taking advantage at the moment. And, uh, you know, I think that I sort of lost this point with the league's cup, but the fact that Miami won it, I think has solidified its importance to the forces that be in the league, because 
it, it's now a cup that Messi has won, right? Like the joke that I made was that they were he was Messi was going to hoist it up for the first time, and they were going to yank it from his hands and then etch Lionel Messi on top of the league's cup because they were just going to rename it like after him um, so quickly that it, there wasn't going to be a chance for him to like hold it for more than thirty seconds before they did it. Um, and I think that solidified the importance of that cup, but that has taken time away from other things in the schedule. It has compressed things. It is, and put more pressure again, without like increasing the size of the roster, they, they increase the number of matches at a minimum by, you know, like five ish percent. But like, if you're good in the league's cup, I mean, substantially more than that. And they increase the size of the roster by 0%. Um, and, you know, the other thing about the League's Cup is you're you're playing against, there were jokes that were made, there were like memes where Liga Mekis players would show up with like jersey number like 204 and stuff like that, because you anyone in the same system can't use the same jersey number in Mexico. So like that sort of makes sense. But like, it just shows like they got bigger rosters than, than MLS teams. I want to just briefly while I'm thinking about it, I went and looked because there was discussion about the the requirements around MLS to play in the US Open Cup and that was I think in some of the initial reporting that came out around this and I went and I looked at the rules myself and yeah so for 2023 the standards of play state for a division 1 men's outdoor league under the section that says composition play U.S.-based teams must participate in all representative U.S. soccer and CONCACAF competitions for which they are eligible. And I found also in the same document a section called Annual Sanctioning Process and Enforcement of These Procedures that says for failure to maintain compliance with these standards by either teams or leagues, Proportionate to the severity of the offense and taking into account their respective divisions, the board can place leagues and teams on probation and levy fines against teams and leagues by majority vote of the non-conflicted directors. Subject to policy 212-1, section 1D, the board can rescind sanctioning of a league by a two-thirds vote of the non-conflicted directors. And this feels like something that they would say, hmm, you know an entire league withdrawing from this U.S.-based competition is a pretty severe offense. And I really question the wisdom of why they would withdraw from this, given what they could potentially be fined or sanctioned or have penalties assessed against them. It it doesn't feel very well thought out. So uh, it just makes me think about the article that just came out from The Athletic. And uh, it's, it seems like the decision-making committee within MLS is very uh, kind of slow and plotting. And, you know, they, they at least try and think, think things out before they make decisions. And I really wonder uh, what they did to come to this decision because because that's just an obvious like surface level look that you gave us, but it sounds really bad. And, uh, you know, if, if they need to think about Messi's impact on the league for two and a half years before they like do anything significant roster wise, then what does it mean? <laughs> like who, who did they talk? I, I really wonder what that, what that committee did to, uh, 
plan for this. It, it's like planning your Christmas gifts sometime between Black Friday and like February 10th. Um, like it's in the rearview mirror by the time that you figured it out. Um, but yeah, like, and Russell, in terms of, of your comments, I mean, I think that it is possible that U.S. soccer could take action against MLS. Um, you know, the the question becomes like, in terms of non-conflicted directors, I think it becomes a, a question of what the determination is in terms of being conflicted because there's like Don Garber is one of the, is one of the members on the board still. Um, but there's others that may not necessarily be directly involved in MLS, but very few would necessarily want to alienate MLS. Um, because if you're involved in us soccer at the highest level, um, you know, MLS is a pretty significant source of jobs for you and cutting that off does sort of hurt. Um, and I don't necessarily believe that there's a conspiracy to fight that, but at the same time, historically, the United States Soccer Federation has been fair. Like MLS was created in part because of the United States Soccer Federation's actions, and historically, there have been ties between the boards. There have been ties between a number of executives on both sides, you know, and I don't, I, I think that they've been moving apart, like soccer United marketing, losing the U S soccer, um, account, I think was one part of that, but I, I still think there's some of those ties. Now I think this does sour it significantly and you would think, you know, potentially if U S soccer was looking at displeasing a media partner in, Warner Brothers Discovery, who are one of the largest, you know, like there's not that many media companies that are out there fundamentally at, at scale anymore. And they're one of them and pissing them off just seems like a bad decision and saying, Hey, you bid for, you know, us open cup rights. And by the way, we're not going to have any teams with names that most Americans recognize when, you know, as of Thursday morning, there were probably some people involved with that account that were thinking, oh man, this is a great, we're going to see Messi hosting, like hoisting the U S open cup sometime next year. And that's going to be phenomenal for the, like the viewership on that match is going to be amazing. Um, not just here, but like, they're probably thinking like we could like, you know, be selling this other way, other places. And that's gone now because, you know, Messi will not be playing for, you know, the Fort Lauderdale MLS next pro affiliate of inner Miami. Yeah. I can't help, but think to myself, if I was BR and I had the rights to distribute the U S open cup and all of a sudden this service no longer had Messi in it. And granted, I know they signed before Messi was even part of the league, but I would be, pretty upset about this and probably pursuing some sort of legal counsel to tell me what my, you know, what my restitution could potentially be. I just, it, the cons of this decision just outweigh rose by such an order of magnitude that I, I can't think of any good reason other than saying, Oh, well, it's to lighten the schedule. You could have expanded so, roster slots to do that. So I, 
Well, you know, the other thing that like was, you know, complained about by an MLS, like Bob Fossey, who's from the Players Association, although he wasn't really speaking for the players as a whole, because the number of players that, that I've spoken to really did express support for the cup. Um, and they, they like playing in cup matches. Like they, like they like different parts of it. Like I told the story about Jordan Shakiri, like there's like, there's a lot of others that are, are not dissimilar from that where, um, I mean, it is like, it connects people to their roots. Like there's very few soccer players that are, are born thinking that they walk on water and they like, you know, like there's a certain element of like liking playing in, you know, a, a stadium that sees 5,000 people that has like not that great of grass. Now there's a certain element of like, you're very worried about your ACL when you're doing that. And that's fair. Um, and so, that, but I mean, that's always the, conf- you know, like players want to play, like that's why they're players. Um, even though they realize like sometimes conditions aren't ideal, but I, you know, I don't think that the MLS players are by any means universally against participating in the open cup. I I don't know about you guys. I enjoyed watching the league's cup. It seemed like reaction from hardcore supporters in Chicago was sort of like mixed to the tournament's existence. Like the fire were one of the teams that participated in sort of like one of the like trial runs early. Um, They just, sort of treated it like a like a random like international friendly and like that was that um i don't think there's any real love for the league's cup i I don't know how you guys feel or what your experience has been with like supporters from from you know the teams you're familiar with uh so with the skc people that i've heard talk about it i I think going into it people were pretty anti-league's cup and i personally have always looked at at it as an interesting way to kind of measure where MLS is at and how how we're progressing. So I've I've been more positive than other people, but by the end of it, just because there were so many great games this year in the League's Cup, and even in games where it wasn't your team, you had that buy-in of like, oh, this is our league versus their league. So you you kind of had a reason to root for somebody that uh, you don't necessarily necessarily have in every game that you watch and uh, so I think by the end of League's Cup at at least I I can think of one podcast in particular that going into it uh, was pretty negative and by the end of it they they were like ah that was a lot of fun even if we didn't make it that far all right well that that's good because I was thinking I'm thinking, wait, is he talking about us? Because I know Gavin and I went into a pretty negative. <laughs> no, no not, not you guys at all. Uh, but we yeah. had a lot of fun with it as well. And I yeah. would I would say as a as a content creator, podcast standpoint, I actually kind of appreciated League's Cup because it it really gave something to talk about along the way. I would say as a fan of a team that did not make it very far, I wasn't a huge fan of League's Cup because FC Cincinnati basically fell off the face of the earth after League's Cup. I mean, we were on record-setting pace to set a new single-season points record. We were on a roll, seemingly unstoppable, just getting win after win after win, or at least draw. Uh, I think we had like two losses to that point of the season. And Mm -hmm. after League's Cup, 
it's the entire rhythm was destroyed. I mean, we suffered two losses at home post Leaks Cup. We it's kind of funny hearing hearing you say that as an FC Cincinnati like sort of observer. Um, when the the Fire had won five of six before the Leagues Cup, and then completely fell off the wagon, and so you you went on to win the Supporters Shield, and the Fire ended up missing the playoffs. Um, and I, I know it's something that was it, it's something that Frank Klopas, uh, the Fire now had you know permanent head coach. Uh, spoke about as being a factor that sort of derailed things like having that time not you know like the the tournament stage was whatever like and but having that time off which I think is another weird thing about the League's Cup format like nobody nobody mandated that it had to be treated the way that it is as opposed to like the U.S. Open Cup format where you know you have a match and then like midweek and then you have a match that Saturday and like you know, like it, it's sort of like interspersed. No, nobody was like, no, no, no. We have to stop everything for this tournament that you've never heard of. Yeah, I just and here I, I don't want to be like too comparative on that, but you look at I don't know, say England, right? Look at the Championship. Look at League One, League Two. Look at the National League. You have absolute slogs of leagues that are playing midweek and weekend matches with regularity for months on end and not necessarily stopping or pausing for international breaks. Granted, on some of those teams, you don't necessarily have much, if any, players you're losing for international breaks. But, I mean, it's not unheard of for players to play that much where you're getting a, a midweek and weekend match with regularity. I just, I don't... Well, and but part of it is the way that MLS rosters have to be composed, right? And And that's been one of the issues, like, the... DPs were initially made to be marketing tools. I mean, frankly, uh, yeah, like a marketing vehicle yeah, more we than can call it, it like it is. Yeah. But I mean, they weren't necessarily made to be that big of difference makers on the pitch. And then some teams figured out, like, you know, if you signed a, you know, younger player that was dynamic, that was maybe on his way to Europe as opposed to having come from, you know, Man United or whoever, you could actually get some more mileage out of it. Um, and then, like, that's also around the same time that, like, some teams like the Sounders started taking continental competition seriously. And I think a lot of us that watched the league started taking it more seriously then. And everyone, you know, execs, you, me, like, everyone, like, kind of realized that MLS teams were getting their butts kicked because, like, they didn't have rosters that could compete. Like, the, the, the best player on an MLS roster was probably better than the best player on, like, Nuevo Leon's roster or, like, you know, potentially even like Club America's roster, but the, you know, the guy playing the six or the eight wasn't as good. Um, and so then like the league introduced Tam as like a sort of like compromise measure of like, all right, like this is how you get like a good, like holding midfielder that like, you know, makes some money, but like not, you know, like messy money. Um, but it feels like it sort of became a stalled project after that. And now we're being asked to just believe that like MLS rosters have to be 20 players, 10 kind of reserve players. And like, that's, that's that when that's clearly not the case because like, that's not the way that rosters and other teams are composed. Like other teams, there's good players on the bench. And, and like as, as us MNT fans, like, we sort of are used to this, like the number of times that we've seen guys that we know to be 90 minute players 
for the USMNT come off the bench and sometimes make an impact, sometimes maybe not as much, but like that we know to be real impact players being on the bench for teams that we're watching, sometimes partly because they're, you know, they've got USMNT players. Like I think that like a lot, like a lot of Americans are Arsenal players because of, you know, variety of historical reasons. Like I think a lot of people started watching Chelsea when Christian Pulisic was playing for them. Like, I think that like a lot more Americans are watching AC Milan because of the Americans they've got on the roster now. And these guys don't start every week, but they're still real impact players. And that's one of the reasons that these teams compete in the champions league and go as far as they do because they've got players that are good and difference makers and the managers know they're difference makers on the bench and an MLS like typically like it's very rare to have that. And when you do a lot of the time, casual fans, we like kind of like look askance. Like, I mean, like, wait, you got, you got that guy like on a Tam deal. Like it, you know, it becomes one of those, like, how'd you get Gareth Bale on a Tam deal? Like that just seems sketchy to us, you know, kind of things. Um, because the Rust rules. Yeah. And that's, that's what's so frustrating is that ever since we got the Apple deal and the increased revenue numbers were announced. And then when you, on, on top of that, when you get messy added to everything for the last year, we've been told that, you know what, uh, the, the wages are going to go up. Think this this will have an effect as as our revenues go up. Uh, we're we're going to get better players. The league's going to be progressing even more. And when when they said that would happen, or when the announcement was supposed to happen, was you know yesterday and today. And what we got was uh, what what was it four four hundred thousand dollars of tam or something? I don't. I don't we didn't even, we didn't get, even that. get that. It was, yeah. No, we got yeah. um. In terms of actual roster change, I mean, we got some cool things like the sub rules from MLS Next Pro, which, to be honest, I think will make games more entertaining. But roster mm-hmm. changes, we got crickets, which which is so frustrating. It and it every, everything is kind of messed up. Like with the way that we can bring players up. Like if you can only bring players up for four games in a season, they aren't gonna get a chance because they're they're just gonna mess up your regular team's chemistry. Even if they come up and perform, you it's not like you can keep them up. <laughs> and there's it's it's just so frustrating with with what's been announced in the last couple of days that uh it's been disappointing and it's it what one of the things that I think is going to it, it almost feels like the kind of like you know old school like having lived in a communist country, like communist propaganda, where on one hand you're told that everything is going so great. On the other hand, you're kind of like seeing things like you're being told that like everything is great and everyone's getting really rich. And then the other, you're told things are really tough and like, we've got to tighten our belts. Like the Apple TV deal is great. We're making like, this is going so well. On the other hand, we don't have any money for expanding roster rules and stuff like that. Like expanding roster, like it, it. And I think that like a lot of fans are starting to be like, wait, like are things good or are they not good because it seems like you're telling us two separate things and it's hard to keep two ideas in our heads at once because the apple tv deal is a 10-year deal so (laughs) it's it's not like it's going away tomorrow it's 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 increased revenue for 10 years and they they still don't want to make a move to to increase the quality of play 
Yeah. Well, but and yeah, and we ticket prices is the yeah. Thing. So ticket prices have gone up significantly. Like ticket prices, like an MLS ticket used to be like, I mean, like maybe like, I mean, cheap. Like it used to be almost like the kind of money that people that had a minivan full of kids could afford without thinking too much about it. And I, I think it's no longer that. And um, talking to people around the league, like people in MLS believe that they've got a premium product and so it should be charged as such. And like, I've been told comparisons to how tickets are priced for like summer tours where you don't necessarily get to see the best of like whoever, but like when an uh, English premier league team comes to the United States for summer tour, they argue that MLS looks affordable compared to that, which I think is true. And then they argue that you're not really seeing a competitive game, which also is true. Um, but whatever the quality of the product is, the fact is like MLS games are not impulse purchases anymore. Like you can like walk, you can drive past the movie theater and say, Hey, you want to go see a movie in a way that your wallet is not impacted the same way it would be going past an MLS venue and saying, Hey, you want to go see the game? Like it, it, it's substantial. It costs a substantial amount of money to a lot of families now. And, um, I think the league is just sort of like, I mean, they, you know, you'll never get, uh, someone in that, the position of like a league official to like really talk about like the consumer's pocketbook, but so far they seem to think that the consumers have been bearing it. And so like the ticket increases have been okay, but I think it does like, you made a really good point, Travis, like when you're open you're asked to open your wallet for a product and yet ownership is not opening its wallet to improve the product. And then in some ways it's sort of like taking things away, like the open cup, which admittedly like a lot of early round open cup games were not that well attended, but I think the hardest core fans love for those matches, you know, I um, for $10. That's I know. Like I went to them too. If you go, so for instance, FC Cincinnati, only opened the first financial club for U.S. Open Cup early rounds. For $10, you would get a wonderful plush seat, access to the club inside. It felt like something you couldn't afford to not go to. You paid $5 for parking. You paid $10 per seat in really nice seats. And, and I, I think did, the, the league would argue that, that, that that's a symptom of the problem, which is that you know, FC Cincinnati, who would sell those seats for like, I mean, orders of magnitude more on Saturday, we're having to settle for orders of magnitude less on Tuesday or Wednesday because it was an open cup match. And so that means that fans were not showing up. Um, but that to me seems like a solvable marketing problem, not not a reason to exclude people. And I think there's a happy middle of like, you can have cheaper seats, you can give people an opportunity and to, to go and experience things they wouldn't. And then like, you know, maybe some of them do go get a seat for one match a year, or like whatever, like in a special occasion. Um, like, uh, you know, I, I've taken people with me to open cup matches. I've one of my friends, like him and I, like we, we ended up taking a bunch of his like younger cousins and stuff. And it was their first, their first time seeing an MLS venue. It was their first time going and seeing, a professional soccer game because most like there's very few markets that have both a USL team and an MLS team. So, I mean, 
if you're seeing a professional game for the first time, chances are it's one or the other. And they liked it, you know, and I mean, they're growing up. And when we've asked if some of them want to come back for an MLS game, they're really excited about it. That's the next generation of consumers. And part of the reason they were able to access it as such, at such a young age, part of the reason that we were able to bring 10 of them as opposed to like one at a time was because there were affordable tickets for one match. And I, I don't think that MLS has realized that it's a marketing opportunity um, to get your product out there, even against a different opponent, but to get your product out there, as you pointed out, Russell, like your seats out there, your club, your venue, especially in an era when, you know, what, like 23, 24 out of 29 teams have MLS, like soccer specific venues that were built for their MLS clubs to get that venue, that experience out there for fans and get some of them hooked on it at a price point that they will consider when they wouldn't necessarily consider other ones. Yeah. For, uh, for context, as we got later into the U S open cup, I actually sat in my normal section where I have my season tickets. It cost me $15. Uh, very, very expensive. I know 15 whole dollars to sit exactly dead center of the field in the upper levels. My season tickets there for reference are a little over a thousand dollars a seat for a season. Uh, it comes out to something like 50 or $53 per match per seat. And so you're, I got these for $15 and it was a great experience. And, and FC Cincinnati is, is a club that has prioritized, getting people into seats, making it affordable. Um, and, and that experience, I think that some other teams have not as, as much or to the same extent. And this is one of the reasons that expanding rosters, I think makes a lot of sense because there are teams historically that have treated the open cup as a trophy that is almost on par as MLS cup in terms of how worthy it is to win. And we can debate about whether or not that's true or not. But I mean, the fact is like, Every MLS team up until this year has entered the Open Cup. And so if you're winning a tournament that every MLS team entered as long as well as a bunch of other teams, I mean, can you really dispute that that's something that means nothing when, again, every team entered it? But again, some teams cared more than others. And especially now that Continental Competition has had a lot more matches and stuff like that, like LAFC, like there was a lot of matches. But they decided not to expand rosters to the point that teams couldn't juggle that many things at once. Um, I, I think it's fantastic that FC Cincinnati this past year, like, and a lot of other clubs do like FC Cincinnati seems like a club that has been willing to put fan experience at the forefront. Um, and so getting people to go and experience matches and, and just getting, you know, again, like butts and seats, getting butts in seats for games if it means selling a ticket for 10 bucks rather than 20 or 50 or whatever, um, it makes it a better experience for the people that were going to be there no matter what. Like there's people that would be there, whether the tickets were $10 or a hundred dollars, it gives them a better experience because it's better with a better crowd. And like every player will tell you like, it's better to have a good crowd around you. And it's cool that FC Cincinnati is one of the teams that did it. But if some teams don't care about it, like if you extend to the rosters, like they could still field their MLS next pro team. Like, and you know what? Like LAFC came kind of close to doing that a couple times this year earlier in the run. And they beat some MLS opponents that way. And I mean, frankly, that's kind of cool. And like those guys probably feel pretty good about that right now because they were denied contracts that were first team contracts at 
you know, LAFC and I mean, every other MLS club, basically, even though, you know, didn't necessarily have the rights to do that, but they feel good because they beat a team that was getting paid more than them and better than them. And if you expanded rosters, there's no reason that you couldn't let teams like field their kids or feel their best people, like their best players and let them make the choice that was right for them. Yep. And, and just butts and seats are worth so much more than just the ticket value. <laughs> like you're spending money on so many different things. If you're having a great time, maybe you have a couple of drinks in you that you bought for $15 at the stadium. And then you, you buy a shirt that's a hundred. Well, and Travis, you've got a kid. How like, often, I mean, it seems yeah. like maybe a little too junior to be 90 minutes fit for a match. Although maybe, yeah, no. But like, so. how often, how often do you walk through a stadium without thinking about getting something for her? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, so beef, uh, was it, I don't Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, when she was, uh, zero months old, I, I had a sporting Kansas city outfit for, her. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, right. And so like, if born, you're there, a, yeah, it, it, I bought it at the stadium. So, <laughs> right. And, and it's the kind of thing like, you know, you're getting stuff for people like merchandise sales are a huge part of the league. And like just getting people through the gates to think about merchandise sales um, is big. And um, and it's also big, like. Uh, Tim, I don't, I don't know if you know this, but Coach Joe took his newborn to an yeah, NYCFC match was potentially the youngest attendee to ever go to an NYCFC match. I, I think they were like less than 30 days old. I actually sent Coach Joe uh, a uh, an NYCFC like tracksuit uh, jacket type thing sized for the baby, and like <laughs> that's cute. Rep, you know um, that that child repped NYCFC, and it, at some point that's going to be a, ooh, a phenomenal memory for you know Coach Joe, and I, maybe the kid's going to look back on it and they're going to be like, well, since I was a baby, I've been an NYCFC fan. You're building the next generation there. So. Coach Joe likes razzing me about Chicago for a variety of reasons. So I'm just going to point out, just to throw it out there, that probably says more about how quiet Yankee Stadium is during uh, NYCFC games than it does anything really about about him or or his kid. But no, I mean, no, it is like it is great. Like, and again, like this is one of the things. Like, it is an ex- it's a chance to bring people in to that next thing, and you know. To the extent that like soccer in this country is still a growth market, um, one of the ways that you maintain growth is to get the people you've got and maintain their excitement and get them excited in parts of the market that they haven't been. Um, You know, I'm still in touch with some people from lower division teams that the Fire have played in the U.S. Open Cup over the years. And like they started caring about MLS more because they traveled to a U.S. Open Cup match against an MLS team. And, you know, like Cincinnati was never on the MLS growth market. Like, you know, you guys like completely shattered expectations and got an MLS club. I don't think that's necessarily going to happen for like Omaha. Like, but I mean, there was there was a group of like 100 Union Omaha fans that traveled, you know, the first year after the pandemic that the open cup was held to the fire match against union Omaha at soldier field. And 
that is an opportunity to make MLS fans. And like you see people in, in moments like that where they're going to an unfamiliar environment and they're seeing something that they probably won't like they're not making plans to ever see again. Like they buy merchandise and they're persuadable customers. Like they're people that could potentially buy an Apple TV MLS season pass subscription. And it's about seizing that opportunity when you're reaching new consumers. And one of the things that the U S open cup does is provide that opportunity to reach new consumers. And shout out to union Omaha. Uh, when they played sporting Kansas city, they had probably about 50% in the crowd. <laughs> so they, yeah, no, they've got great, like, well. they've got great support. I mean, they, I mean, they, they do have substantial financial backing behind them. I mean, like um, Omaha because of, certain individuals uh that <laughs> may have a lot of money from omaha um it does punch above its weight in some ways but um but yeah like full credit to them and like it you know like i don't know if you like you talk to the supporters much like you know it's cool hanging out with them and like talking about just soccer in this country in a way that you don't get as much from mls mls matches yeah i, I think some of just building the awareness of a team comes from people talking with each other, either online, in person, on social media. I follow Sheffield Wednesday at a very, very, very high level because I, I'm friends with someone who is a Sheffield Wednesday season ticket holder. I follow along because, you know, when I talk to them, it's just something that I would be interested in knowing how this major aspect of their life is impacting them, what's going on. And you're you're just you're taking away the ability for people to even build those connections for people to even you know begin to talk to someone else about your product it's it's short-sighted and it honestly it's bad value because i mean free advertising is great value i don't know why you and i think that short-sighted seems like a good feeling for i think a lot of how a lot of mls watchers feel about the events of the past week not as 48 hours (laughs) yeah i mean 48 hours for sure i mean and yeah, not expanding roster rules, not not loosening the roster rules, not changing the purse strings, um, pulling it out of the open cup, which is sort of like one of those things that you're like, I didn't even think that was a thing that was on the table. Um, yeah. What are they going to do next? What is Saturday going to bring us? What are they going to announce? Like, this feels like one of those. This feels like one of those moments where now I I don't even know what to expect. Like, nothing's going to be quote unquote sacred anymore like if they can pull out of the mls cup what's going to stop them from doing some other insane crazy thing yeah exactly it it, it just seems like something that was so out of the realm of expectations and the open cup even for people that did not go i think that it did have an emotional connection like it had an outsized emotional importance to a lot of people so we'll see i mean having said that um to be honest I don't think I cannot recall the last time that I've seen U S soccer, this like Twitter, this United on a topic. Like I, like it, like, I mean, social media didn't exist the last time that I think that could have possibly happened, which would have been like the Germany goal in like the 2002 world cup. Like I, I, um, it has just seemed like I, I don't see anyone being like, Oh, well, I understand why this happened. This is a good decision you know, or regrettable and I enjoy it. It's like, this is way out of left field. Nothing anybody asked for. It's a terrible choice. And that just seems to be like the universal thing. Absolutely. I'm trying to find, I saw a statement on a, 
on Twitter that U.S. Uh, Soccer Federation has put out a statement on um, – oh, here it is. A statement from U.S. Soccer Federation. Major League Soccer notified U.S. Soccer today of their Board of Governors vote. So this came from the Board of Governors vote. This came from the same rule changes that they would have approved yesterday. So this is still Thursday, you know, ruining MLS for us. No, that was – so I think it was a different – I think the Board of Governors meeting was technically today. Um, it was the rules committee and the product strategy committee that met yesterday. Okay. Well, I think uh, I know. It's, yeah. I just, I yeah, don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's point it's being, they say they're currently reviewing this to me. sounds like they're trying to figure out if there's a legal aspect that they can pursue. So and I, it's just gonna be a mess. My, I have, um, a, a decent, Oh, by the way, this is sort of a funny anecdote. Um, I, I have, um, some people I know in the U S soccer federation, uh, it was released literally simultaneously with when their staff, Chris or holiday party was supposed to start. Um, so, (laughs) (laughs) um, there's like a Friday news dump, but there's a Friday news dump when the people that would care most about it professionally are having their holiday party news dump. (laughs) Um, and that is a different, that's a different level of news dump. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Um, one thing I was going to plug just for a second, and I have literally no, the only interest that I have in this is that I think that they are, you know, phenomenal people that do great work. Um, the cup.us has been covering the U S open cup for 20 years now. Um, and I mean, they cover every level of it. Like when I want to know, like when like Ohio Valley teams are meeting in the preliminary rounds to qualify for the open cup as amateurs in the middle of September, the year before the open cup competition we're talking about, like this is where I go. Um, they have reporters there at like a number of us open cup matches I've covered. Like, even if it's like not close to anyone that as far as I know, you know, works there, like they just do a phenomenal job covering the cup and they have for 20 years. Um, and I would think they would have an interest, a significant interest in seeing how this shakes out. And I mean, like a lot of people involved with the cup, obviously losing MLS clubs, loses eyeballs for them you'd think just because it if nothing else it removes teams because i mean there's not nearly as many mls next pro fans as there are mls fans um so um yeah but check out their coverage i'm sure that they will have a lot of coverage around this and a lot of other things but even if not i mean there's just some awesome feel-good stories there when like you know teams qualified for the cup in the past month and some great photos of like a bunch of like, you know, kids smiling with banners um, saying they qualified. I mean, it's just, it's, it's great to see. I want to throw out, this is, this is going to be my last question slash slash take for this episode, just because we've been going for like an hour. And I, I think this is where my mind wants to end. Let's say, let's say MLS pulls out of this, right? And let's say that, you know, you get to some catastrophic nuclear scenario where somehow them pulling out of the U.S. Open Cup managed to tear down all non-MLS soccer in the U.S., right? Like, let's say that all these teams that would normally have, like, some stake in the U.S. Open Cup going well and getting them a little bit of extra money to function all fall apart. Let's say MLS is the only game left in town for the entire U.S. Are people actually going to watch it? Like, if you're not in, say, those MLS markets, if you're in Omaha, 
are people in Omaha going to watch the nearest MLS team to them? Are they going to buy season pass? Or are they just going to get, you know, ESPN plus? Are they going to watch, you know, a league in Spain? They're going to watch, I don't know, get Peacock, watch English Premier League, watch the Bundesliga. Uh, maybe they'll get, I don't know, maybe they'll watch Liga MX. Maybe they'll get TUDN or, you know, tune in there. Maybe they'll get um, Yen Sports and watch the South American leagues. Like, there's so many other leagues that you can watch. They're on all different TV networks. It's not like they're inaccessible. Are they going to go out and then want to watch the only league in the U.S.? It's not like MLS is NFL, where everyone watches NFL, even if they have an XFL team nearby. I, I think a lot of people will still watch it. Um, I, I know I'm not, I'm not going to quit watching my team, but uh, I, I live in MLS markets. At the same time, that that just shows you like how important it is to with with that sort of competition to keep pushing to become more of a premier league with that th- throughout the world with I, I didn't mean to use that word premier league but <laughs> you know just uh every other american sport league is pretty much the top one in the like basketball we're the top hockey we're the top uh football we're probably the only one <laughs> but uh Hey, come on, Canadian Football League. Represent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, with MLS... <laughs> Guys like, work hard for all three downs for all 110 meters on the pitch. Yeah, it, 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 it just shows you how much they're missing the mark by missing this opportunity because there is that competition here. If you aren't moving forward, you're moving backwards. And... Uh, it's it's super frustrating to see when when I am as invested as I am in this league. Yeah, so I, I think I'll echo that that last sentiment where I think a lot of MLS fans are very emotionally invested in the league in a lot of ways, as I think a lot of people are with with you know their sports team in general. But I think the difference is to a certain extent with MLS, it sort of feels like a lot of us, it feels like a secret society, which I think is like, you know, like not a secret society necessarily, but like we are part of this club where we care about this sport that not everyone cares about. Like in a lot of the country, even if you have an MLS team in your market, like in Kansas city, like sporting Kansas city is not a a small team in that market, but on Monday morning, the number of conversations about the Chiefs versus the number of conversations about SKC uh, on any any time when they both played, like it doesn't even matter if it's a preseason Chiefs game versus like Sporting Kansas City, like sealing its way to the playoffs. Like it, that doesn't matter. The, the NFL team is bigger, and so I think that a lot of us feel like just being soccer fans in this country makes us part of this club that is small and we want to grow it. And I think stuff like this does hurt our ability to sort of like sell that to to casual people. I I don't think anyone is buying an MLS season pass subscription because of this decision in Omaha. If that answers your question, Russell, like it's just, I don't think it helps the market grow in that sense. And I I don't think it has a good look for the way the the league looks internationally for people that watch it closely. And that's kind of inside baseball. To, to, to use a very bizarre phrase for this for most of us. But I think when it comes to some players and some agents and the way that they look at positioning their 
like an agent would position their player in MLS versus some other leagues that are like kind of like broadly comparable in terms of what their guy could get paid and like stuff like that. So like if it's us versus like, you know, like the Netherlands or, you know, maybe a couple of teams in Belgium, stuff like that, I think it does hurt MLS's image. And I think it makes us look less serious. Um, and I don't think anyone really knows what League's Cup is in that context. And I, I think if anything, it makes fans that this big marketing push that the league has invested a ton of money in. I mean, because it's been an absolute ton of money. I, I think that fans that were cold to neutral to it now are getting a lot colder to it because it took away something that did matter to them emotionally. And I think that's true even for fans that would not have gone to a U.S. Open Cup match because, like, again, that's why the tickets were 10 bucks for you. It had an emotional importance even if they weren't there. And now that has been clearly pushed aside for commercial considerations. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily think that that's a winning proposition because I don't see anybody being happy about this. I don't see anybody being brought on board to the league because of this. That's kind of where my mind is. I, I see no see no benefit to this. It, it feels like another just dumb decision in the past 48 hours. Well, yeah, like in terms of like when you think about this as like a who wins and who loses, I mean, to a certain very minor extent, players like especially players on, on teams like LAFC that played like 53 matches last year, like they're minor winners because now their legs don't have to endure that quite as much. Um. But the other side of that coin is the reason they played that many matches was because of the League's Cup, which is a thing that, you know, literally no one asked for. And I, I don't think anyone really cares about um, that much on an emotional level. Like the the trophy has been hoist once in its current form. Like I know there was like a little mini League's Cup thing that the league trialed for a while, but like that trophy was won once. It was won by Messi, you know, which was sort of a fun experience we all had. But I don't think anyone has any emotional or historical attachment to it. I don't think anyone would care if the League's Cup, like if that trophy like disappeared into the ether or somehow no one would ever allowed to present that trophy again. I think a lot of us would be like, all right, well, that was fun. Um, I think the Open Cup, I think there's a deeper emotional attachment to it to a lot of Bedrock fans. Um, across this country and across this league. Yeah. All right, guys. I, I think I'm good to put a pin in this for now because it, it, I, I worry that the longer we talk about it, the more I'm going to look at Twitter after this recording and see that something else dumb has been announced. And yeah, I don't need that in my is, life yeah, right now. Doom scrolling, and we're just waiting for the next thing. Um, yeah, we're waiting for the other yeah. shoe to drop. They're, they're going to announce that all. All jerseys have to be hideously ugly next season. Uh, well, <laughs> you're probably not far off. All right. Well, guys, I appreciate both of you getting on. Yeah, and I appreciate being able to talk about this. I think a lot of people care about it. I mean, I certainly care about the cup a lot. And so it's been good being able to vent some. Yeah. And I'll just plug uh, on the on the podcast website. I'm going to be posting a blog post in the next day or two. And I've been putting a lot of work into it, so uh, keep an eye out for that. If you want to see some uh, maybe Sporting Kansas City analysis, yeah, I know we have Travis is among one of our many people writing. So 
even if you're not a Sporting Kansas City fan, go check out the website because we have amazing content there put by people like Travis. And many people, I think, could benefit uh, from having more soccer-specific content. Maybe I'm a little biased because, you know, this is a soccer-specific podcast. Who knows? Hard to say. But if you're interested, go check it out, mlsnowpodcast.com. You can follow the podcast on social media at mlsnowpodcast. You can follow me on social media at Mr. Dangerous. You can follow Tim on social media at Sing Electric. You can follow Travis on social media at SKC Spins. That was a mouthful. Guys, thank you very much. Till next time. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. <laughs>